Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. The year's 1963. The album is My Son, the Nut, the Artist, Alan Sherman. My guest is Cory Doctorow. Thank you so much for doing the show. My pleasure. Thank now, you for asking. Uh, yeah, of course. So this is, I've already explained to you, the second time we've done Alan Sherman only. Mm-hmm. And it's only been this year. Hmm. And the previous person who spoke about it is the voice of Teddy Ruxpin. So you're an interesting company. That is interesting company. Yeah, yeah. He is a, he's Gosh, a, he's come a dream with me tonight. Oh, my. Uh, can I tell you, at the end of the episode, he decided to work my name into a Teddy Ruxpin song, and I just about bawled oh my <laughs> on my gosh, own podcast. Awesome. It's it's I'm such a crybaby. I didn't expect to have that reaction, but yeah. That was one of those shows, the, the cartoon, where you, mm-hmm. um, it, it felt like there was a story that they were trying to build, but mm-hmm. it, it they were showing them out of order and syndication, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think they canceled it partway through, mm-hmm. and there were like hints of this kind of, a, the Gummy Bear cartoon was the same. There were same hints thing, of this yeah. sort of epic story arc that just never seemed to gel. I know. And he's still around. He could. He wrote it. He partially wrote it. So wow. Just keep he going, could, man. Uh, yeah. Well, that, it needs a reboot. It does. Yeah. Oh, my God. That would be... I don't know what I'd think. I mean, I know now, looking back, how obnoxious... I was two parents wanting that toy so much, right? Right. You know, but well, it was the Reagan years when the FTC <laughs> de- or FCC deregulated um, mm-hmm. uh, how much advertising and how directly advertisers could go into uh, children's programming. Mm-hmm. Uh, hence, My Little Pony. And sure. Stuff. So the My Little Pony reboot is a good precedent for like score and Gem Gem uh, oh, yeah. the the Gem reboot. All of those are like. Turns out that there was gold. Yeah, Reagan was right. So it true. turns out Reagan was right about everything. <laughs> someday he'll be vindicated. So powerful it even reached us in and, Germany, in which is where of, I lived at the time. Oh my gosh! Yeah. In the wake of Trump's presidency, mm-hmm. we will suddenly realize that there are much worse kinds of presidents than Reagan. <laughs> oh God! Now you're just depressing me. Ah. So, by the way, just real quick, hello uh, England, if you're hearing me, I'm coming soon. Um, uh, hello England, if you're hearing me. I'm glad I left about 11 months ago. Yeah. It was nice, but oh my God, it got pretty horribly Tory after the last election. See, that's the other thing I'm afraid of. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know. I have to, I have to weigh the two. No. We got you, real political. Are you quick. moving there? I want to. I'm, I have dual citizenship, so it's an option, you know. So I, uh, I could go to your I homeland. I a but... British citizen. Mm-hmm. I uh, put my hand over my heart in Hackney Town Hall and sang God Save the Queen, and they made me a British citizen. Mm-hmm. And then a bunch of people who thought that they knew anything about British citizenship insisted that I was a subject, which is wrong. Ah. If you, uh, to become a citizen, you have to study a guide called mm-hmm. the Life in the UK Guide. Right. And among the things it says is you are a citizen, not a subject. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. My wife would have to do that. They Even, won't let you become a citizen if you think you're going to be a subject. I like that. Yeah. I don't know. I, that's, that's, that's pretty good. I, but I, my other option, like I said, is to, is to go to your home country. Of, and of to Canada. Canada. Yeah. yeah. But they don't, they don't need any more of us. I mean, yeah. well, so many I'm of us are pleasant. My wife and I could... So my, my wife, who's British, could, mm-hmm. and I could have a sham divorce, and then we could have sham marriages mm. to Americans wanting to get out of Trump's America. This could be our retirement. That's very smart. Yeah. Just pick some very rich people to yeah. do. We get political quick. And, and both... Both countries now have same-sex marriage, so mm. we've just doubled our customer base. Good call. Yeah. <laughs> so now, Alan Sherman. Yeah. You know what? Though you were telling me something that I did not know. It's so funny. Here's the problem. I love comedy vinyl, obviously, uh-huh. but we're only delving on the surface usually. Right? So isn't this cute? Isn't this fun? Didn't you enjoy it as a kid? But you're telling me that he was just a rabid... Yeah, he was a he was a super right wing nutcase. He uh, 
he hated hippies. He was sort of a closet McCarthy. I, all those songs about like how the hippies were were terrible and and you know destroying the fabric of the American character. They were not so much like a wink and a nod as they were like a torch and a pitchfork. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's scary. Yeah. But this is a real cute album, though. It is. I love that. this album. This album for me is like inextricably bound with Mad Magazine. You know. I, mm-hmm. I, uh, Started listening to it when I was like six or seven, which is about the Perfect. same time I got my first Mad Magazine down at the newsstand. And like Mad Magazine, because Mad Magazine's uh, secret formula is 20% new stuff, 20% classic stuff, 20% filler that they had lying around. Sure. And then, you know, the rest of it is, uh, if I got those pr- proportions wrong, 33% new stuff, 33%, right. <laughs> and then 30 So, uh and like that, so Mad Magazine, like like Warner Brothers cartoons, like Alan Sherman, was full of references to things I just didn't understand. Sure. You know, Richard Nixon and, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Marshall Plan and yeah. stuff. Stuff that they didn't teach six-year-old Canadians about in the mid-70s. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and, and it was, um, so it was kind of a detective thing, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to figure out what the hell it was all about in the same way that, like, the, the early Warner cartoons and Night Magazine were. Sure. Uh, and there, so there was some satisfaction to that. And then there was just some stuff that was just funny because it was, like, funny on its face, sure. right? It was yeah, slapstick. Yeah, yeah. And so it was that interesting mix. And in some ways, you know, there's a science fiction writer, um, Joe uh, uh, Walton, who, uh, who talks about... Um, Including in science fiction, how mm-hmm. the prohibition on like exposition in science fiction—a prohibition that is often not honored—but the sure. prohibition on exposition and saying, we, you know, the year is X, the following things have led to the creation okay, of this right. world, and so on—means that the writer instead drops these hints that she calls including that are meant to be uh, pieced together by the observant reader mm-hmm. to understand what the whole world is about. That the canonical example is Heinlein's "The Door Iris Open," mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so there's all this including. About what this world was that was not super far behind, right? You know, sort of half a generation behind at that point. Yeah. And uh, um, there were lots of other clues lying around in the world because, like, the future composed the past. So it's not like, you know, 1970 rolled around and we took everything from 1950 to 1969 and removed it and then started afresh. It was all kind of woven in. And so. This this felt like a, an important set of clues, mm-hmm. as well as a bunch of fun songs. But like for example, most of these songs I had never heard before. Yeah, right. Like you came a long way from St. Louis was not a song that a lot of like people in the seventies uh-uh. were listening to. I had to do a lot of research radio. today just to become familiar with a ton right. of them. And they tell you what the songs are, I guess, because they they need to do composition credits for them. Sure. Um, uh, you know, uh, oh what a fool am I? One hippopotami, rat fink, rag mop. Um, you're going to be a habit with me. Like this was really the first time I'd ever heard most of these songs. Yeah. And so later on, when I heard the songs, it was like um, the scales falling from my eyes. Right? Because <laughs> right. like, sure. Oh, that's why that was funny. <laughs> it was a reference to this other thing. Because yeah. of course, you know, in my day, we didn't have Google. We couldn't go sure. look this stuff up. <laughs> and so, you know, you would just have to wait until it fell across your transom. Right. It's the same experience I had with Weird Al. You know, yeah, probably sure. ten years after you had this experience with this. So, yeah, it, <laughs> there's this interesting thing though that uh, he does do a little bit of like I've I've got a current hit and I've got a uh, you know a current frame of reference that I'm going to be using in terms of like how I'm going to write the song. Mm-hmm. But he also does this old trope of if I want to work in a historical bit, then I'll, it'll just be all about an historical bit, which right. is not something even Weird Al would do today. He's not going to write something about 
okay, there are exceptions maybe, but for the most part, he's not going to do a current hit and talk about the bicentennial. So or, I don't know. know enough about his milieu, right? But mm-hmm. uh, because, like, okay, so he did a song about the French Revolution. You came the wrong way, old King Louis, yes. right? Which, again, when I learned about the French Revolution, I was like, oh, now I understand. 1789. In fact, the other day, I was giving a talk about Thomas Piketty and capital in the 21st century and the mm-hmm. fact that Thomas Piketty uses the instability in France on the eve of the French Revolution okay. and the wealth disparity then as a kind of benchmark for how far wealth disparity can get before okay. the guillotines get built. And I was trying to remember what year it was, and in my head I went, Louis the King Sixteen <laughs> was the king of France in 1789. So it was sort of schoolhouse rocket. <laughs> I love it. And I don't know if there was a thing like Hamilton, but about the French Revolution when that song was recorded. Uh-huh, right. But I I bet you there's going to be a lot of weird comedy music about Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton Mm -hmm. and Thomas Jefferson in the five to ten years from this day in 2016. So it may be that the reason he was writing songs about the themes of the French Revolution Mm -hmm. was was this. The other thing is that like... um, those historic themes also seem to be like a recurrent motif in other things of the day, like like Warner Brothers, right? Yeah, like yeah. like King Louis and the, the the French Revolution shows up in Bugs Bunny cartoons. Sure, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. that's a good call. Yeah. So maybe that was just like it it had this indelible mark on history that actually turned out not to be so indelible, and ten or fifteen years later, mm-hmm. it was just sort of mixed in with this kind of blended like was that before or after the Dark Ages? Like how does that fit with the, what you know? Obviously, right. in France, it makes a difference. But mm-hmm. today, not so much. King Louis was living like a king, but the people were living rotten. <laughs> so the people, they started an uprising, which they called the French Revolution. And of course, you remember their battle cry, which will never be forgotten. Went the wrong way, old King Louis. He made the population cry. Cause all you did was sit and pet with Marie Antoinette in your place at Versailles. And now the country's gone kablooey. So we are giving you the air. That ought to teach you not to spend all your time fooling round at the Folie Bergere. If you had been a nicer king, we would... I don't even know if it came before or after All You Need Is Love. It must have been before you, All You Need Is Love, but I was going to propose that maybe the because he uses the theme of the Marseilles mm-hmm. at the beginning, and so does All You Need Is Love, maybe oh, yeah. he was, like, riffing on All You Need Is Love. Right. I mean, this I is... This is... We got 63, and what year was... All no, it was did. much later than right? that. Right? Had to have yeah. been like 68. Because it was Magical so. Mystery Tour. Mm-hmm. So, like 67, something like that? Yeah, 68? okay. Yeah, a psychedelic era. 63 sure. was pre psychedelic. Uh huh. That's, well, that's a solid coincidence. Maybe though. the like Beatles it stole it from Alan Sherman. That would be great. I yeah. would love if that were. It, there you it go. would not surprise me. Now that we're reconsidering the historic <laughs> origins of Stairway to Heaven, maybe yeah. it's time for the estate of Alan Sherman <laughs> to sue Sir Paul McCartney. <laughs> oh, my God. Take him for his vegetarian <laughs> sausage fortune. <laughs> Uh, so this is okay. Not only is this his second album, by the way, I know so very little history. I'm just pulling this crap off of Wikipedia. Sure, yeah. so a lot of you know, like I, I just know. So what's I just funny. shout citation needed as you go. Yes, or? I think you should probably. Right. But at the very least, I can you know I did confer with Discogs. Check this out. Too. This has got the. Um, <laughs> it looks like the Grateful Dead. The Grateful Dead bear. Oh, it 100 percent actually is, isn't it? That's yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Wow. On the back, they're just these little icon, ugh, little icons of, of little bears that are clearly just maybe the original. 
clip art, I'm assuming? I guess. It must be. Yeah, you're right. They must come from a common origin of, like, royalty-free clip art yeah. for your comedic and psychedelic needs. The graphic designer in me, though, was kind of going crazy over the fonts on the back of this. Like, yeah. the automation font, I really, really like, and it makes me very happy. You know what this reminds me of is... Uh, the uh, con- contemporary with this, the Disneyland guidebooks. Oh, yeah. Because every, every ride had its own graphic treatment mm-hmm. and its own font. Yes. And in the guidebooks, they would be set in their own type, the Haunted Mansion, Pirates of the Caribbean, yeah, yeah. Mr. Toad's Well Ride. It reminds me of that. They, they have these thematic uh, typefaces. That's pretty great. And this one, I cannot figure out all of the fonts, of course, but it's making me a little... It's hurting my brain a little bit. Yeah. Um, I like that they have a precursor to the Comic Sans for Hello Mata, Hello Fada. Mm-hmm. That's good. Uh, Everything the, old is new again. The only little piece of like interesting factual information is that this it was number one on the Billboard. And, you know, last comedy album to do that until Mandatory Fun two years ago. So this really? is this is the one that Weird Al beat out. That's finally. probably why. So this my copy of this mm-hmm. was one of the records that my grandparents saved. Okay, that had been my mom's records, right? Mm-hmm. And so we would go over to see them, and we would like raid her old toys yep. and her. Uh, and her records, and we would bring some of them home, and we brought this one home. Mm-hmm. It was also, so it was my favorite record. I played it all the time, my little suitcase record player. It was also the first record where I discovered if you leave it on a hot car seat, it melts. Oh, no. So we ended up getting another copy <laughs> later. I, I, you know, actually, that does beg the question, like, you know, we're not that far apart physically, but I'm I'm curious as to what the most ubiquitous comedy albums were in Canada at the time because if I go to an estate sale here which is what I do mm-hmm. uh, not just looking for records but you always uh, find Burbank it's uh, complete machine shops yeah from like this being Makertown USA where all the skilled tradesmen and Lockheed Martin people yeah. built their homes and then are now dropping dead yeah if you need a complete metal or machine shop mm-hmm. come down to Burbank on a Saturday morning oh yeah yeah, yeah you anyway. can find some a wonderful besides some great like crazy mid-century technology that you'll find nowhere else oh yeah for sure you will also find uh uh, copies of the first family. Everybody oh, yeah. has that. Yep. My guess, though, is that is chiefly American in terms of ubiquity. I think you're right. I got. I mean, I my estate sale finds these days are super right wing paranoid John Birch Society literature. Ooh, okay. I have a ton of it in the bathroom. I actually bought an extra bookcase just to put the bathroom this for my crazy red scare literature. I've got I'm some eugenic at. stuff that I found at oh, estate wow. sales too. Yeah, it's a little creepy. Burbank's amazing. Oh yeah, yeah, it really is. <laughs> and it, it's. <laughs> You could seriously see Alan Sherman doing well here. <laughs> so in the mid-70s yeah. in Canada, so like this obviously was from my parents' generation. Sure. In the mid-70s in Canada, the things I remember uh, being huge were like the Grease soundtrack. Yeah, and, okay. You know, I think probably very similar to what was hot here. I think probably where it diverged in terms of my own experience uh, was a few years later when um, the Bob and Doug McKenzie album That was out. what I was going to say. And that was like, everybody owned a copy of that. We all knew all the songs. Sure, yeah. It was like, there's this Howie Mandel bit about how um, growing up Canadian and Jewish, mm-hmm. his parents would point at the television and say, you know, he's Canadian, or you mm-hmm. know, he's Jewish, or you know, he's Canadian and Jewish. Yeah. And you would lose track of like who was who you would just know that sometimes you'd be like watching tv and feel this vicarious sense of pride yeah over the 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 you know the person you saw of on course it. yeah and and um i canadians like really like material that seems to have breached the american consciousness that's mm-hmm. about canada 
but Canadians hate material about Canada that doesn't seem to have breached, right? <laughs> that stuff feels like, you know, pandering. Okay. It feels like CanCon, Canadian content, which is, you yeah. know, produced under subsidy. Sure. Uh, it, feels, it feels like sort of feel-good, eat-your-vegetable stuff. Mm-hmm. But a Canadian, Canadian material that's breached is, like, super awesome, like Leonard Cohen, sure. yeah. right? Yeah. But then, it, then if it goes a little further than that, then you hate them because they've sold out. And okay. they, they want everyone to believe that they're American. <laughs> So it's, it's these weird gradations of self-hatred. <laughs> it's so beautiful because, you know, it's the weirdest thing is like Bob and Doug McKenzie, that, well, I'm aware of them and grew up watching Strange Brew or whatever because mm-hmm. my parents had no they, weird filters that they let me watch that. Uh, but I, the album, I wasn't introduced to until this podcast wow. and it is now easily one of my favorite comedy albums of all time. It's got Getty Lee on it. Yeah. It yeah. really does, and it's great. It, but it also it's got one of the it's got a participation element. Yeah, there are only a very three four albums that I can think of like that comedy albums. Right, it's just and I've been talking. This has been a very Canadian month. I've been talking to a lot of Canadian people. We're and like this album comes up. We're everywhere, and uh, <laughs> we look just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. It's great. So when I was that age, the other thing that was really hot when I was about this age uh, were Mad Flexi Discs. Oh, shit, yeah. Manufactured in Clearwater, Florida, Mm -hmm. uh, headquarters of Scientology. Uh Uh-huh. Another Los Angeles connection. Uh Uh-huh. But um, Mad did a crazy Flexi Disc called It's a Great Big Beautiful Wonderful Incredible Super Spectacular Day where it had... I think I've heard that one. There was a a bit at the end where they manufactured it so that the needle would jump when it got to the final stanza and Mm. it could jump into one of about four parallel tracks so there are four different endings and they varied so it had a randomizer built in and it, the ending varied based on the playback that's amazing amazing I didn't know that was a thing yeah we had Arnie Kogan on the podcast and that never came up so I'm ne- Arnie you're on notice because this is that's amazing to yeah, me. I just knew about it's cool. a gas because that was one that my yeah, mom loved because yeah. my mom likes fart jokes. And for Burbankians, House of Secrets mm-hmm. is uh, our great local comic shop. Mm-hmm. Is where I got this uh, very vintage Mad magazine. Oh wow! So they apparently beat everybody else to the estate sales where there are Mad magazines oh, on sale. Holy crap! And they have stacks of mm-hmm. '50s and '60s era Mads. Yeah, and even earlier '40s. Friend of the show, Patrick Verone, has every issue. Wow! Every fucking I don't know how. He's done that at all, wow. but he obviously was our expert when, when we had him on. But this is—I've never seen one this old. There are this is uh, blowing my mind. You know, they did a CD-ROM of all of them, a box really? of CD-ROMs, and it may be that there are torrents on websites that rhyme with the Shmirit Bay. <laughs> That's crazy, though. Yeah. But an actual physical—do you care about physical copies of stuff? Uh, and when do you? Do in. Uh, where the artifact is very beautiful mm-hmm. uh, and where it's not super unwieldy. Mm-hmm. That becomes uh, a problem with vinyl, sure. Yeah, and um, and also if, you know, that kind of Japanese thing of a thing that you've owned for a long time takes on a certain sentimental sure. whatever. And so I have, you know, paperbacks that I've lugged with me back and forth across the ocean like five or six times uh-huh. on different moves. But uh, for the most part, not so much. Mm-hmm. Um I am really lusting after a Fiji mermaid. Uh, and this is the Fiji Mermaid District here oh, at yeah. Magnolia Park. There, we have uh, three year-round Halloween stores on Magnolia yeah. Boulevard, uh-huh. and uh, two of them sell competing Fiji mermaids. Do they? Yeah. I didn't know, because there used to be one in the back of 8-Ball when that was still a store, yeah. the second iteration, but that's gone now. So I Bearded don't. Lady and Halloween Town both have... have Bearded uh, Lady too, huh? Mm. their own Fiji mermaids. The Bearded Lady one is amazing. I asked for a Fiji mermaid for Father's Day, mm-hmm. I got that shrunken head. 
which is not bad, but mm-hmm. like it reminds me of that Smothers Brothers bit back to Alan Sherman that mm-hmm. uh, you know I wanted a chicken, I get a chicken. Mom bought you a chicken. <laughs> she gave. She gave. Mom got. No, I want. Sorry, I told that so wrong. <laughs> mom always loved you best. I wanted a dog. She didn't get me a dog. She got you a dog. She got, got me a chicken. chicken. Yeah. I said bark chicken bark, bark, but it wouldn't bark, so I ate it. So yeah, I got I got the shrunken head, which I may eat. You should. Yeah. You should. I, I please report back on the the flavor of that. I boy. So okay, in listen, watching. Okay, here's the, if, if anybody has never heard this album, mm-hmm. uh, you've probably heard "Hello Mata Hello Fada," which is the big hit from this, and mm-hmm. probably is one of the reasons for its longevity in terms of an album. Yeah. Um, the box set, "My Son the Box," has mm-hmm. got the weird sequel to "Hello Mata Hello Fada," which is in a kind of like rumba rhythm. Okay. And it's all about how happy he is to be at camp. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And um, it's like it, how he's it, the chorus is let me stay out here on mother nature's land Maybe and tip through that. the tulips grand to leave would be a shame besides I'd miss the poker game uh, <laughs> and it's it's hilarious yeah. and but nowhere near as funny as the original Hello, Fada. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining. And they say we'll have some fun if it stops raining. I went hiking with Joe Spivey. He developed poison ivy. You remember Leonard Skinner. He got tomain poisoning last night after dinner. All the counselors hate the waiters. And the lake has alligators. And the head coach wants no sissies. So he reads to us from something called Ulysses. It's hard to top that. Is there, you know, also in reading this too, here's here's where the citations needed. Wikipedia telling me that, uh, you know, that his, uh, Sherman's first two albums had been filled with in-jokes about Jewish culture. This one is not, not compared to My Son the Folk Singer. There's not yeah, that much on no, that. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Yeah, I mean, like, he doesn't do the Havana Gila riff, <laughs> right, right? He doesn't right. do, um... Grow Mrs. Goldfarb fatter, fatter, pile of potatoes on your platter. Uh, he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't do any of those. There's maybe one or two bits and pieces, but it doesn't yeah. feel all that Jewish. No, it's not as Borscht Belty. Yeah, yeah. You know, going back to this thing about old and new, mm-hmm. I wonder if the split here isn't that this was the time at which rock and roll was pulling up alongside of popular orchestral music sure. and that like knowing that he was kind of reactionary in his politics maybe what this was about was him parodying uh, rock songs in a way that was a little like meaner maybe right and uh, more disparaging of the underlying song more a direct parody of the song like Ratfink right yeah, 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 Ratfink yeah. is a parody of uh, Ragmop. It's mm-hmm. not a. It, as opposed to you went the wrong way, old King Louis, which has nothing to do with you. It came along with sure, Jersey, right, 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 yeah. Or a Hungarian goulash number no. five, which has nothing to do with with. Um, gosh, I forget what that song is called. Probably says it on there somewhere. It better say it on there. No, it doesn't. No, son of a bitch. It did. It did on here. Public domain. Oh, I see. I see. It does say on here. Oh, here we go. Brahms Hungarian dance number. Yeah, right. There we go. Thank you. Interesting. There are no permissions on this, so there's Mm -hmm. there's composer credits. This leads me to believe that he 
used and arguably misused the compulsory mechanical license mm-hmm. to record these, unlike Weird Al, sure. who on one occasion, I think, relied on fair use when someone turned him down, but in mm-hmm. every other occasion has sought permission. Right. Smartly. Yeah. Well, that's I mean, if you're going to make fun of someone, I think that's pretty clearly fair use, right? Right. We don't... We don't usually put people in charge of who's allowed to criticize them for obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it's interesting, too. You, you make a good point. It does have that feel of more like a Stan Freeberg, who, it, like, quite clearly was making fun of Rock for being Rock. Yeah. Like, he was just an old, grumpy guy who was brilliant at the same time, but like, oh, this is stupid kid music. I'm going to make fun of stupid kid music. Yeah, yeah. But now I do, I do wonder, because Alan Sherman does have this particular vibe about him. He's just this cute, fat, schlubby guy who yeah. does cute music. But It's kind of like a, a corollary to uh, like Lenny Bruce's Liberace sketch, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the, like the mm-hmm. other side of the coin. Yeah. You know, making fun of like how out of it and square all that stuff was. You know, in some ways, the way that he treats rock and roll reminds me of like the way the Flintstones and the Jetsons t- t- treated rock and roll. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, or uh, uh, that means I love you. <laughs> yeah. Dipsy Doodleitis. Those those you know episodes which were written by guys who were of the same thing. Of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what of the? I mean, okay. So, but you picked it, but it feels like it still means something to you, even if it's. Feels a little dated, he's but I enjoyed good it. With his rhymes, I tell you. What. Yeah, that's that's a big part of it. Like, yeah, it's kind of delightful. Yeah, I mean, did, I don't know if you uh, there was um, there was a little video from I think from from Genius, which used to be Rap Genius, mm-hmm. about uh, the uh, like um, you know some of the so Kanye West and some of the great sort of multi platinum rap stars rhyme schemes uh-huh. and how super clever intricate and interwoven they are compared mm-hmm. to a traditional you know she loves you yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. rhyme structure and Sherman does a lot of funny things with rhymes mm-hmm. uh, which I quite liked and then I guess it's got this like it has this meaningful thing because it was music that my mom and I could listen to together sure. right? she liked it and I liked it we liked it for different reasons it sparked questions that I asked you know I've been playing the Hamilton soundtrack nonstop for my 8 year old mm-hmm. and now we're getting to like the intricacies of the constitutional convention and it's awesome you know it's like there was the, 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 anything that allows adults and kids to talk about context in a way that like fits together pieces so that you can fit it in with your own life. I don't think kids are dumber than adults. I just think sure. they lack context. Of course, and yeah. Knowledge. So when you give them the knowledge, they can synthesize it as well as adults can. They just need all that background. Yeah. So yeah, I think that it did spark some interest. Uh, like the whole thing about the Marshall Plan <laughs> was, yeah. you know, kind of a mystery. My my um, father was born in a. Um, uh, his parents were displaced persons in Azerbaijan, and he was born. They were living in a, a, a DP camp when he wow. was born. He was born in the hospital there, uh, and then he was a refugee in Canada. And so, you know, my grandparents were refugees, mm-hmm. and so all this stuff about the war in Europe and eat up because children are starving. Yes. And, I, and that stuff, like. I really, uh, it really kind of, again, felt like pieces of the puzzle that I'd been trying to piece together from the fragmentary evidence from my parents wow. and my grandparents, too. That's so crazy. And in, in a way that is so, um, uh, not not dismissive, but it's just so like, I'm making comedy out of this thing that was clearly a very rough thing for your family. Well, yeah, but it was also like, he was, he was, uh, 
taking a thing that was in the air, right? For like sure. European yeah. post-war refugees mm-hmm. were really, like, that was, they, they were not yet assimilated. There mm-hmm. were a lot of them. Toronto had whole neighborhoods full of the neighborhoods mm-hmm. where Yiddish was spoken instead of English, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, um, like, they would go and take over, like, whole vacation resorts in the uh-huh. summer. You know, it was that thing where, like, like in Seven Year Itch, where the men would all send their wives mm-hmm. to, uh, like, Wasega Beach or Jackson's Point, And then they would go up on the weekends on the train, and they would stay and play cards and, and you know, work in their... Like uh, my grandfather at a scrapyard, you know, uh-huh. so they work in their scrapyards, their jeweler shops in the heat of the summer, and the kids would play in the lake. It was that kind of thing, and so it was like really in the air, and it was you know people with concentration camp numbers, sure, and the whole yeah. thing, Jesus. right? Yeah. Uh, so it was really like in the air, and so this this was really uh, it, that that story was like. It made explicit things that were just implicit and understood mm-hmm. by all the adults around me and that no one was going to explain to a kid. Sure. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So did you, out of this discussion, then get some of the answer through your mom? Uh, yeah, bits and pieces, yeah. I guess. And, you know, it's, hard, it's kind of hard to know because I know the whole story now. Sure. In retrospect, sure. But I lo- you know, I, I, I think that was one of the places where it all started to come together. For mm-hmm. sure. yeah. yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. That Alan Sherman... Has that you know, and that's that's what's interesting too. Is like everybody picks an album for their own reasons, of course, and right. and but rarely does it do we get that kind of a insight to our own parents as a result of well that. because that's it was great. my mom's record, sure, right? yeah. So there was that there was that connection. I was just thinking, you know, um, not on this album, but on the other. There's uh, we were saying that grow Mrs. Goldfarb fatter, fatter, mm-hmm. and you know there were a whole ton like those old standards were turned into parodies by a lot of different people. Uh-huh. So there's another version of that I have called Nicks on the Glowworm, Lena, uh-huh. Lena, and it's about um, uh, uh, the landlady's ha- um, daughter at a boarding house who has a, a concertina who brings it out after dinner and plays this terrible version of Glow, glow Little Glowworm. Mm-hmm. And it's this, it's this like, uh, uh, um, begging, pleading from the tenants of the boarding house for the <laughs> landlady's daughter to stop playing Love. Glow Little Glowworm on her <laughs> concertina. Uh, and there's like three different versions of that I've, I've got uh, from old 78s that were ripped and put on the Internet Archive. So this was like a this was a much more common activity, I think, then than it is today. Right. Yeah. You know, Al, uh, Weird Al is like, you know, a rare exception now. It's not like there's a whole universe of people recording these right other than like you know and youtube but that's like again it's it's right. it's such it's mostly amateur and that's not to insult anybody i'm using amateur in the technical people who sense, love what they do yes exactly right there we go um there's another interesting angle which is that there are these lawsuits there was just one over happy birthday and now there's a new one over this land is your land the woody guthrie song oh okay all against the same music publisher that mm-hmm. claims to have copyright in these songs right and these songs are all turning out to be folk songs that um, radicals or school teachers or whatever just took these tunes that were in the air Mm -hmm. and added words to them because that was how you made songs that were popular. You took a tune from the air and you added some words to it and then that, that became part of the identity of the song and like they would play on each other and this is not you know unique to western North American culture. Sure, sure. Calypso works like this today. Yeah. You know, but, but it was, uh, it was really, um, 
uh, like part of the in the air then in a way that it's not now. And it, I think it gives more context for the Alan Sherman stuff. And you know, given that these days some of what I do is advocating for more liberal copyright and more rights for people to remix and more fan activity. Sure. And like we live in the era of the Paramount versus Axanar lawsuit. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is this is a mode of creativity that's very old. We think of it as as modern, but it's actually very old. Even in its commercial incarnation, it's very old. Right, and it's and it and it happens for a reason, and it usually happens not for what we were talking about earlier, this sort of angry Freeberg attack on it. It's normally like, this stuck with me. This is a piece sure. of culture. I'm acknowledging this is a piece of culture, not saying I don't enjoy it. I'm saying clearly a ton of people enjoy it, and I'm playing with it. Yeah. You know, it's it's there's a difference between that and just straight capital. If you're just capitalizing on it, there'd be no good comedy on this album. Right, right. I think that should be Yeah, acknowledged. it's very affectionate. I mean, I, or much of it is very Sure, sure, yeah. For sure. Doesn't have your smile doesn't have your shape just a bunch of punch cards and light bulbs and tape dear you're a girl who's soft warm and sweet but you're only human and that's obsolete though I'm very fond of that new 503 Automation's not for me It was automation, I'm told That's why I got fired and I'm out in the cold How could I have known when the 503 Started in to blink, it was winking at me. This is my second run in with um, This Land is Your Land. Uh The first time around, uh, it was during the Bush versus Kerry uh, election. Oh, yeah. uh, Zigzag, which was this, no, what were they called? There was. There was this flash animation comedy video mm-hmm. company that mm-hmm. did uh, Is it Jib Jab. Uh, Jib Jab. There we go. It. Yep. Yep. Did this uh, video that was um, uh, uh, I wanted to call him Herman Munster, John Kerry and George <laughs> Bush singing "This Land Is Your Land." I remember that. Yeah. And they got sued by this music publisher. And so we, I was at Electronic Frontier Foundation at the time. We we were on the case, and um, all these copyright scholars got really interested in part because Guthrie's son and grandchildren. Uh, decried the lawsuit and mm-hmm. said this was totally in keeping with what Guthrie would have done. And This Land is Your Land is a song about the evils of private property. Right. right? right. <laughs> so, right. Like irony knows no bounds. But, mm-hmm. but they were, uh, but um, what happened was a, a music archivist sent us photocopies of stuff from his collection, mm-hmm. from his institution's collection that was the Wobbly Songbook in which it originally appeared, and it didn't have copyright notices, which really? meant it wasn't registered, which meant that the copyright was invalid. And that's when the lawsuit ended. But of course, they've gone on collecting rent for This Land Is Your Land from people who just, just showed up and said, how much to use this and <laughs> get our errors and omissions insurance in order. And, uh, and now uh, the same people who made the movie, the Happy Birthday movie, mm-hmm. 
are uh, are representing uh, the same lawyers. Uh, they're representing the, someone who took a license to this land, um, but was denied a license for I think a video, so they couldn't get sync rights. Interesting. And who are now saying, well, you, you are arguing that you own the rights to this, and we would like a court to adjudicate this question. I think they'll lose. Yeah, it's, I hope so. <laughs> uh, you know, again, speaking of Burbank, it's probably the case. Like most copyright scholars think that the first Mickey Mouse cartoons are probably in the public domain and have been for a long time. Yeah, because they had like malformed copyright. Uh, notices and oh, registration was screwed up and a bunch of other stuff. But, uh, you know, it's not worth litigating. <laughs> There's not much you could do if you could license them. You get a lot, you know, fair use gives you pretty expansive rights to them. And then mm-hmm. beyond fair use, like actually getting the rights to those cartoons, you could redistribute them. Mm-hmm. The trademark would limit a lot of what you could do anyway. Sure, yeah. You'd be much better relying on fair use than on the fact that a couple of obscure cartoons are in the public domain. Mm-hmm. You know, most of Mickey Mouse's canon isn't. So. Mm-hmm. God, it's fascinating to me. Um, do you have a favorite track off this album? Do I have a favorite track? That's yes. an interesting question. In the era of shuffle play, mm-hmm. they you know these tracks have been mixed in with all my other tracks. Of course. So, um, so do, sorry, real quick. So you mean legitimately in with all of your other non-comedy music? Oh, yeah, You've yeah, got yeah, this no, just I, sitting there. I have uh, I shuffle play my daily shuffle play. Is music I've rated four or five stars okay. that I haven't heard in thirty days or more. Okay, uh, so I kind of cycle through most of my music about once a month. That's great. Music about once a month. I love. So it. when I get a new album, I listen to it two or three times, rate mm-hmm. the music, and then it just goes back into shuffle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and me being almost forty-five, I get very few new albums because <laughs> people stop acquiring new music. Of course, yeah. Reach forty, which is about the time that they can afford to acquire all the music they want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's the crisis of the record industry. <laughs> um, what is my favorite? Uh, I'm going to say it's a toss-up between Here's to the Crabgrass and You Went the Wrong Way, Old King Louie. Mm-hmm. No, Here's to the Crabgrass and Hungarian Goulash Number no. 5. Okay. Because Hungarian Goulash Number no. 5 is one of those songs that has um, lots of uh, weird internal rhymes. Yeah. And also a song that we can no longer sing without being embarrassed because it's full of horrible racial stereotypes. <laughs> That is true. Uh, so it has that kind of weird forbidden whatever. But here's to the crabgrass. It's like Dave Berg wrote it as mm-hmm. a lighter side, and then they set it to music. That's true. It's, you know, yeah. didn't read the last one yet. Yes, you did, but you forget. Oh, well, they're all the same today. <laughs> here's Mrs. Ritter. She's the babysitter. Tonight we're going home again. It's like Mad Men, right? Mm-hmm. Like you could, It could legitimately be part of the soundtrack of a Mad Men episode where yeah. they commute from Levittown to Manhattan, just the just just John Draper and his wife with the kids with a sitter to go drink cocktails uh, in the Oyster Bar under the Grand Central Terminus. I like things like that. that. I think the thing that stood out to me is, again, with each generational remove, we we become so much. We we understand so much less the context of what it was like to live there. Sure, the idea of. We're here in the place where this kind of thing just sort of seemingly yeah. existed, right? Yeah. Burbank, a former sunset town, supposedly, and then also, uh, you know, just just filled with this idea that everybody must have loved doing this, and they just went about their day. But there's there's songs like this that are, at the very least, like kind of trying to cut to the heart of how fucking boring it was. Yeah, for these sure. People. And where and this is also like where all the B-roll and all those sitcoms yeah. were shot, which was the first thing I noticed when we moved here. It's like, oh my god, it's Father Knows Best. Mm-hmm, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Do you... 
So I guess it, it, it resonated perfectly fine. It didn't need to be an American thing. This is not. This no. this doesn't seem quintessentially American. It seems pretty well, pretty English speaking. Well, <laughs> you know, North American anyway. Yeah. I think that post Reconstruction United Kingdom was different, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't know enough about about. Australian post-war sure. uh, era to, to know. I mean, I know they did have a big suburban boom. But mm-hmm. I don't know if it was like quite, quite North American great. But yeah, and you know, I guess the other funny and interesting thing about this record is when it was made. You know, Thomas Piketty, who wrote Capital in the Twenty First Century, he says that we mistook a pattern that was that was actually quite aberrant which was that um, society got more and more equal over time. Mm-hmm. We mistook that as like a historical force, like that, that, that we were, that the age of enlightenment and the industrial age created these kind of more distributed dividends all along. And he says, actually, there was, it was this combination of like massive capital destruction, like in the, in the Americas, uh, most of the capital wealth held in the Americas was held in the form of enslaved people. Mm -hmm. And so manumission reset a lot of the wealth accumulation on this continent. Uh, In Europe, the, the wars were, you know, especially the first war really destroyed a lot of capital. And what it did was it weakened the whole of hold of capital on the um, uh, political process, Mm -hmm. which led to these very redistributive, Era, so the GI Bill and, and right. you know the welfare state and uh, the New Deal and lots of other things that kind of emerged out of that capital destruction mm-hmm. and that uh, that period is the period we really think of as the era of progress, the kind of American sure. century. It's the 64 World's Fair. It was like mm-hmm. the Disneyland era. Uh, it's the French call it Les Trente Glorieuses, the 30 Glorious Years. Mm-hmm. And it and it ran up against stagflation and Reaganism and Thatcherism and, and anti-redistributive policies or redistributive, upward-really redistributive sure. policies that magnified wealth imbalance till we get to today. And so this is also this artifact from this time in which yeah. it felt like the American way of enterprise would produce this meritocratic system mm-hmm. where every there would be plenty for all, and anyone who cared to work hard and put their nose to the grindstone could become rich. Right, and like that's clearly not the case anymore. Right, social stagnation and like the likelihood that you will finish in the same class or lower than you were born in—that's become a fact of life. And mm-hmm. so there's something weirdly optimistic about this album too. Mm-hmm. And and. Uh, and it's of a piece with a whole lot of media from that era right. that had that, whether it was left or right in its political orientation, that had that view. Sure. And I, I will say it didn't seem oppressively so, I, to the point where I guess I didn't really... It doesn't come across as at least being bent in any other way other than he's he's being cute. But I, I now I now I have to... I, I mean, I think I own every one of his albums, so now I have to go through the whole cat. Well, you said earlier, so that he did this one novelty oh, album yes, right, yeah. for Encron, which made synthetic fibers for textiles, mostly carpets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it was all standards. So, like, Take Me and you, uh, Let Me Call You Sweetheart, I'm In Love With You became Why They Call It Encron, I Will Never Know. And I, if I remember <laughs> right, it was only used internally by Encron for yeah. like sales meetings and company payments, Okay, one of those, yeah. Which is like, how awesome would that be that your employer hired Alan Sherman sure, right? to record a bunch of comedic jingles about your uh, your your uh, products and and you know that the sales force would march out with a with a spring in their step whistling why they call it Encron? It's fucking fantastic. <laughs> Good God. Won't you help me find my girlfriend, please? So I asked him 
what does she look like? And the man from Mars said, she's eight foot two, solid blue, five transistors in each shoe. Has anybody seen my gal? Blue sight nose, rust-proof toes, and when her antenna glows, she's the cutest Martian gal. You know she promised me recently she wouldn't stray, but came the dawn, she was gone, 18 billion miles away. Her steering wheel has sex appeal, her evening gown is stainless steel. Has anybody seen my gal? I see. That's that's the kind of thing. I every once in a while, I like. I I want to. They're impossible to find, obviously, unless of course you can get this digital version. Uh, Bob Newhart did the same thing for his uh, cast and crew of the second Newhart show. Really? Yeah, they're not inc- impossible to find, and I know a couple people who own them, and I want to steal them. Uh, but yeah, they, 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 those kind of little like one-offs. Uh, yeah, yeah. We, we actually have been trying to figure out the origin of this one that we premiered on our show. It's a Bob Newhart. Nobody had ever heard it before. Wow. We found an acetate of him in studio, not live, doing a thing, uh, a Paul Revere bit. Right. And it's a solid Bob wow. Newhart bit, uh, but it's in studio, a little bit of reverb, and he, he was the guy who owns it was just wondering, well, well, maybe this was like exactly what you're saying. Maybe it was done for a corporate, but I can't figure it out why. There's no wow. name on it. It just says Newhart on it. And it's, it's just, so weird that all this archival stuff, it feels like there's a great project underway to take all the archives and catalog them and mm-hmm. so on. I mean, corresponding today with the folks at the Internet Archive, the yeah. archive.org, Wayback Machine and all the rest of it. Sure. They are amazing in their dedication to doing just what you're describing, yeah. finding it, cataloging it, making sure that there's a digital copy for posterity. Mm-hmm. I uh, uh, So Walt Disney, when he um, started raising money for Disneyland, uh, wrote a prospectus mm-hmm. uh, for his first meetings with the bankers in New York, and there were three copies made. Okay. And one copy survives. And that one copy traded hands at auction, and Glenn Beck bought it. And Glenn Beck bought it and said that he wouldn't let anyone see it after he bought it. And a person or persons made a scan of it and got it to me at 1200 DPI. Uh, I put it on the Internet Archive, but I also I used to uh, work with Imagineering, so I made sure that their archive had a copy as well. Yeah. But it, it feels like we will surface all of it. Do you remember, go back to Woody Guthrie, mm-hmm. um, there was a guy who was on his way home from uh, the office and they just bought him a dictaphone and he was bringing it home to show to his family and he happened on Woody Guthrie giving an outdoor concert and he recorded it on a wire uh, oh a wire sure yeah, yeah yeah and it sat in a closet for 70 years there was never any recordings made of Woody Guthrie's live performances and the Woody Guthrie trust or whatever it's called foundation it showed up on the doorstep in a box they thought it was a bomb <laughs> and they worked with a uh, uh, an engineering team mm-hmm. uh, to recover this audio. It won a Grammy when it came out, and wow. it's, it's like spookily amazing. Yeah, uh, partly because it is the only one. Sure, but it makes you think that there must be like versions of this everywhere. Like the mm-hmm. Hatbox Ghost at the Haunted Mansion. Yeah, you know, we thought that that was a, a story. No one in Imagineering was sure if it had mm-hmm. been built, and then someone surfaced this like 
grainy eight yeah. millimeter black and white footage from a soft opening for um, staff before the haunted mansion opened, right. showing that the hatbox ghost existed and that it was in the mansion and it must have been pulled for operational reasons because it yeah. was horrible to make it work before we had contemporary ele- electroluminescent effects. Mm-hmm. Now it's back, right? Like, yeah. and uh, between you and me and your listeners, I hear tell there's another one of those coming. Oh, are you kidding me? I got, I got, I have to thank you because a couple months ago. No, about a year ago now. Uh-huh. Uh, I just because of you, I discovered Long Forgotten, and I've oh, now read the entire website. Yeah. I've read the whole thing. I get pissed when there's not a new one, and it's been no. like five months now no. because the Hatbox Ghost is back, which yeah. I finally got to go see myself. Like I didn't care before. I love mm-hmm. Disney. I grew up thinking it was going to be an anime, but thank you for that because if I, yeah. that is the best fucking website. Um, but yeah, this. I love this idea that there's all this mental ephemera out there mm-hmm. and that we're finally being able to, because of the internet, because of this cooperation, being able to find this shit and prove that it exists, yeah. find it in good enough quality that you can share it. I mean, even if it's sometimes shit like those old smoke recordings, have you ever heard those, the, yeah. the, the, they found like the earliest audio recordings were actually done in France using smoke to record it onto film and wow. they're optical. They Crazy. sound like shit, but they're right. clearly like, it's like right. that. And that's great. That it exists because yeah, now sure. we know. We just got proof, more proof that Edison was a d bag. Um, but that, yeah. that's, that's just more, more along the lines of what it is. Paging uh, Matthew Inman, your meme is here. <laughs> um, God, I, I, boy, I'm sorry. We, we keep going down these interesting avenues. That well, how much does, are we going to say about? I mean, apart from singing the whole album, how much sure. are we going to say about my son? <laughs> Do you want to just sing the whole album? I'll I record it. I can sing most of it. I, I bet you could. For lyrics, as my wife could attest. Mm-hmm. My, my kids got it too. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, most songs that I've heard more than two or three times, I can just sing. got it. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I don't have a great voice, but I know all the words. <laughs> so, all right. So it's bet- it's between here's to the crabgrass. Yeah. And what was the other one? I'm sorry, and, Hungarian and, goulash. Um, Hungarian five. goulash. Yeah. I and I'm trying to think of which which of those. I, I feel like the Hungarian goulash. I wish I could remember the songs. I listened to this twice today, but there's there's just a couple where you're exactly right. Where the rhymes are just so ridiculously mm-hmm. perfect. Like they're head shakingly dumb sometimes, but it's right. also like. It's solid job there. Right. You did a really good job. And he's another one where, in listening to it, I just wrote down the word singer question mark. I'm like, was he yeah, a singer yeah, before really. this? Because we're, he doesn't have a great voice. He's just belting it out. Yeah. Sure. He can carry a tune. Right. But he's not a singer. And But there's obviously something charming about him. Yeah. Especially if you listen to the last track, which is Hail to the Fat Person, which I kind of really liked. Yeah. I, it's spoken. But I, I like yeah. it. I came up from a family of fat Ashkenazis. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that song really resonated for me, too. <laughs> He, uh, he. I feel like I should at least give people some background because they get annoyed when I don't have any facts in, at hand. But I was like, maybe he's one of those anomalies, like Newhart or uh, uh, Brooks and Reiner, where they performed it at a party. And I was absolutely right. George Burns heard him at a at one of Harpo Marx's parties, and that's how he became really? famous. Yes. Really? So he would just do the he would just fuck around at these parties, and that's what he's like. Wow. Uh, you know, calls up somebody's like, sure, record deal, bam. You know, it's crazy to me. So you could imagine that he was like this socially awkward dude, yeah, whose way of making friends was like taking over the piano and belting out, yeah, weird Borscht Belt parodies of the <laughs> popular songs of the day. Which makes me think he had to have been well, maybe not, but. I'll bet there were a couple that are just not appropriate for for family audiences. That I'm might, sure. You know, I'm sure he must have worked blue. Although you know, I'm trying to remember because I think I read his biography a long time ago, okay. and I think maybe he hated comedians who worked blue. Mm, okay, okay. I, There's I, a lot I could of be those. totally wrong, but I think he thought that it was like. It was part of his sort of like weird quasi-Semitic birch. Like he was like he was like a, a, a not quite a bircher because he was a Jew, right? But right. like 
But, you know, he was like this super right-wing family values thing that he just did not like cussing. Yeah, yeah, that could be. I mean, it could be the case. I mean, he doesn't even do like... Casual like, racism, that's all. Sure, that's absolutely fine. Sure. I mean, it's the 60s, what are you going to do? Uh, but there's no even like subtle, like there's no like shaving cream attempts at like yeah, hiding, hiding a right. square and none of that crap. Yeah. It's a good call. So usually even Weird Al does those. Yeah, so, sure. Huh, that's interesting. Again, more research needs to be done, folks. And you know, if I, he he has kids who are still in LA, so I'm going to try and see. Really? Yeah, he does. And wow. they actually attend synagogue where Teddy Ruxpin's voice is a cantor. So that's why. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. weird. It's great. They must be about my parents' age. You know, my 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 mom has cousins out here too. Like mm-hmm. this is you know part of the diaspora, right? Like mm-hmm. My mom's uh, father had nine siblings, and sure. two of them ended up out here. Okay. Right? Yeah. That's interesting. Huh. Uh, yeah, I, I want to meet. I would love to meet Alan Sherman's freaking kids. That'd be amazing. Ah, it'd be pretty good. Him, them, and like I said, thank you, Teddy Ruxpin. Uh, such a nice guy. That episode hasn't even come out yet. Um, Who knew that Teddy Ruxpin was Jewish? N- none of us. That's Only. Howie Mandel. Surely knew. He probably <laughs> sat there, sits there with his kids, yeah. watching Teddy Ruxpin you know. runs and saying, "You know, he's Jewish." Uh, he. Oh man, sorry. There's so many stories I could tell about that guy. He's such a sweet guy. Um, well, first of all, thank you for doing this. My pleasure for taking the time to do this. Right. Um, and do you? Okay, I always like to ask people towards the end if you're going to recommend listening to this album. What's a good reason if you haven't heard Alan Sherman? And maybe you've only heard Hello Mata Hello Fada. What's a good reason? Um, he is funny. You know, yeah. it's not just camp. Yeah. Like, th- he manages to surprise and delight. Like, Hello Mata, Hello Fada, it's a popular song because it is actually no fooling funny. Yeah. Uh, it's got punchlines. It's got timing. It's mm-hmm. got timing that he works in. And, um, you know, like, the lyrics to You Went the Wrong Way, Little King Louie, which, which would be my close third on this... Which are, which are damn funny, weird historical lyrics yeah. about Marie Antoinette. And, uh, you know, like, if you had been a nicer king, we wouldn't do a thing. But you were bad, we, you must admit, we're going to um, uh, shorten you a little bit. You went the wrong way, old King Louis. You, you bled the population dry. And all you did was set with, is pet with Marie Antoinette in your place at Versailles. Uh, it's pretty funny. Funny, like yeah. contrast it with Hamilton, and you can see that Hamilton's like working from this tradition of using contemporary language to talk about the deeds and misdeeds of revered historical personages sure. to to humanize and re- make relevant uh, an old story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's perfect. That's absolutely perfect. Uh, I don't think anybody else would have ever drawn a, a comparison between Lin-Manuel Miranda and Alan Sherman, but I'm so glad somebody did. Finally. Sure. I well, <laughs> I mean, they were both all about love. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. right. <laughs> um, it's, it's like, it's you know what? It's a Warren Epstein moment, because you put them together, you get a Puerto Rican Jew. <laughs> uh, <laughs> do you have any... I do not know when this is going to come out, so sure. I apologize. What to promote? Where can people find you? I know. So, uh, I'm the first Corey in Google. Pretty easy to find. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, and co-own a website called Boing Boing mm-hmm. at boingboing.net. I work with the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which is a civil liberties group that works on technology and privacy. And uh, I am uh, the author of about 20 books, many of which you can find in the best bookstores. My next book will be called Walk Away. It's mm-hmm. coming out in... Uh, April 2017. Okay. And uh, it has many claims to fame, but among them is that um, it has uh, the first blurb that Edward Snowden ever wrote. Really? Yeah. Interesting. That's fascinating. Well, thank you. Yeah. 
Uh, well, again, thank you for doing this. Uh, again, I don't know when the hell this is coming out, but I can just tell people, you know what, uh, if you're in Los Angeles or even New York or Minneapolis, go see A Drinking Game. It's a show I'm in every month. Uh, we do 80s movies as a stage reading. We drink, the audience drinks. It's a lot of fun. Doing Ghostbusters this month, but you've missed this already. Um, I'm also go to lookingforwardmovie.com where you can see my movie that is coming out one blog at a time. We are already at five hours and we're only a few months into the damn thing. So I have a lot of work cut out for me um, at the end of the year. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for, for doing this again. My pleasure. And as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. Please visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, read our blogs, read our tweets, watch our videos, and read our books. Please subscribe on iTunes, and if you like us, give us a five-star rating and a nice review. You can find us on Facebook.com slash Comedy on Vinyl, Twitter at Comedy on Vinyl, and find everything else at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune into the new Stand Up channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. Mm-hmm.